Today, listeners, we have a current member of the Entrepreneur House in Chiang Mai on the show, Claire Goodwin. Claire is the co-founder of SoulPal. SoulPal is a premium shoe powder designed for active people. SoulPal makes foot deodorant as cool as it absolutely can be. Claire started out as a nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner. She founded MyPCOSCure.com and specializes in helping women reverse polycystic ovarian syndrome. It's been a pleasure getting to know Claire over the past four weeks and picking her entrepreneurial brain. I'm looking forward to the show because we can get the opportunity to learn more about Claire and how this focused achiever achieves results. And without further ado, Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you very much. What an intro. Uh, <laughs> so we're in Chiang Mai right now, and ironically, we're not in the same room. We're still doing a Skype podcast, <laughs> but uh, that's for audio reasons. So I want to start off, Claire, where did you get your, your initial drive to become an entrepreneur, and what's your background like? Yeah, so I, uh, as you mentioned, I studied nutrition uh, and functional medicine when I was at university um, a few years ago now. Um, and when I was at university, I always wanted to have my own business. I didn't want to work in a public health setting. And um, But during when I was graduating, it was the middle of the global financial crisis. And yeah. I also realized I didn't really have much corporate experience or commercial experience. Um, having done majorly science degrees at university, I, I knew nothing about setting up a business, sales, marketing. And so I actually got the opportunity to uh, to work for our national, so I'm, I'm from New Zealand, our national telecommunications company there um, on their graduate program. And we got rotated around the company for six, like every six months we got moved from, say, strategy to finance to marketing to product. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me a really good uh, grounding in, um, in how businesses operated. Um, but unfortunately, I kind of, well, fortunately, I ended up staying there for a few more years and then um, finally decided late last year that I was going to take the plunge and, and go out on my own um, and started my PCOS cure, um, focusing specifically on, as you said, women with, women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and yeah, and then it's just gone from there, really. And then since started Soul Pal as well. Nice. And so if you don't mind, if we can dig a little deeper into that, what was... What was that like for you to take that initial leap from going to uh, being an employee to an entrepreneur? Yeah, so for me it was a um, it was a bit of a planned exercise. I actually uh, you know made sure that I had um, a decent runway for myself so that I could comfortably do that. And I did it as a little bit of a um, a step by step process. So firstly, I I left my role and I got a a contract role that I could work remotely for the first six months. So mm-hmm. I've been in London for the last few years working there, and I decided I wanted to do a ski season in France. So I resigned from my job and got a a contract working for a client remotely, and so worked from there so that I could kind of do the do my own business on the side, uh, as well as as well as doing the contracts. I had some, you know, some income coming in. It wasn't the pressure of actually earning straight off the bat, and then also starting my business on the side on the side as well. So I kind of did it as a bit of a staged approach, um, and then uh, yeah, and then just gradually phased out the contract and phased in more of my own business. I think a lot of people can kind of do that similar pattern. It seems like these days. So yeah. It's quite a comfortable way of doing it, you know, like you can just set yourself up that it's not so much of a risk or not as scary as just doing it, you know, an entire leap into your own business off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. 
So you have a business um, helping women reverse polycystic ovarian syndrome. How did you get into that? Yeah, so I actually, um, I actually had so uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome myself, and uh, and managed to reverse it through my own learning and figuring out different methods um, for for doing that. I, um, for me, for most of my life, I was actually. Uh, a semi-professional athlete, so I was competing um, in at a world championship level in uh, running first and then triathlon. Uh, and during that during that time, um, put my body body under a lot of stress and and, uh, and since developed polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm-hmm. So then the next my my um, then the next years were kind of all about trying to figure out what had gone wrong and reverse that. So it was um then became very passionate in that particular area. And I knew that the what I'd learned through that process was also really valuable to a, um, you know, a whole bunch of other women also going through the same thing. So I think for me the the primary driver there was a, you know, I, you know, had such a passion for actually helping other people doing the same thing because I'd been through it myself. And I think that's you know, if, if there's one lesson that I've learned through through doing my own business is that it's it's a lot of hard work and unless you're really passionate about what you're doing. I think that it will, you know, that well, that for me is what gives me a lot of drive and what actually stimulates me to do do my best work is because I am so passionate about what I do. That's got to be really fulfilling working with women and helping them fix something or cure something that you had also. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's such a great feeling. The feedback that you get from the patients, the um, just the the internal. Um, feeling that you get when you know that you've kind of helped them do something that no one else has been able to help them with um, and especially working with these with kind of more chronic illnesses that's there's no there's no pill to fix it uh, it's a combination of a lot of different factors and therefore they often get overlooked in the medical uh, fraternity as well so these are women that have been ignored and pushed aside um, for many years and to have someone that actually takes them seriously and, and actually helps them to find um, a cure is, you know, for them is one of the biggest things. Do you have any uh, stories you can share about that? Yeah, so um, so one of uh, one of my uh, patients, she's uh, she's twenty three years old. She uh, was a second year law student at university when she developed um, both polycystic ovarian syndrome and kind of had some chronic fatigue symptoms at the same time. I don't know if anyone listening has heard about or knows someone that's developed chronic fatigue, but it's pretty debilitating. Um, And she has been, she had to return home from university, so go back and basically live at home at 19 years old and has, you know, has, has been almost bedridden for about four years um, and so I started working with her about six months ago and we've finally just been able to get her well enough that she's been able to return to university now and restart her studies. So she's ecstatic. I mean, she's finally feels like she's a young person again, not, you know, not a, uh, not living at home with her parents, but also she feels like, you know, the rest of the world has sort of been looking at her like she's a bit of a failure. And now she's like, actually there is something wrong and I fixed it and now I'm kind of back on track. So, um, it's incredibly rewarding to be able to you know get someone back into university life and and just being able to socialize again go out with friends do you know go for a walk do normal things yeah yeah that's really cool so you're a semi-pro athlete 
Yeah, well, so uh, in New Zealand, about as, as much as you can be. Uh, <laughs> it's not particularly well funded uh, in New Zealand, but no. So I would I would get paid for winning events. Uh, not that I was uh, doing winning many of those, but yeah, for most of my life, I was competing at at a world championships level. So mm-hmm. I'd spend a couple of months a year, you know, in Europe training and then and then competing. What uh, sports were you competing in? So I started my life as a as a runner, so uh, track and track and field. So five thousand meters on the track was my was my specialty. Um, also cross country um, as well, and then uh, I moved into triathlon in my later years. Very cool. And what are some things you learned being an athlete, Claire? That kind of rolled over into your entrepreneurial um, life or or just work life in general. Some some traits or habits or things you picked up? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, I think for me it was really beneficial having that background and that I could be – I was – I already knew what being very dedicated was and, and about what setting yourself a goal and achieving that, how that really felt. Um, and I'll always remember that, like my first national championships that I that I won, where you know that was the goal for me that that year was to win that medal, and that's all I dreamt about, all I thought about when I was running every single run. And it came down to you know when I was it was pouring down with rain outside, and I was like, oh, you know, I would really not like not to go for a run today. And then I just think I was like, well, that's what that's what people who I'm going to beat, that's what they're thinking. And so I'm going to I'm going to turn this around and I'm going to go because that's what's going to give me the edge over them. And I think that that's similar in business. You know, you can be in somewhere beautiful like Chiang Mai, and um, when you you know when you're starting a business, it's all about the hustle. Um, later on, you can maybe have a bit of time off, but when you know things that you would really like to do are happening and you're like, oh, it'd be so great. You know, I'm here in Chiang Mai. I should really go and do this tourist activity or I should really do that. It's like, well, actually, no. You know, that's what my competitors are not, who are not hustling. That's what they'll be doing. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to actually be hustling and making sure that I'm, you know, building my business. Yeah. So, Good. yeah, I think that that's kind of for me, you know, and, and also, but also the other thing too is just time management. So when, you know, when you're training 25 hours a week plus, you know, studying at university, mm-hmm. you know, have, have really great time management to be able to fit everything in, be very organized, and um, and just and that I think probably put me in good stead as well. So where do you, where does one get that type of obsession to to focus on one goal so with so much intensity that they do everything they can? Like when you were focused on getting your your gold medal, I think it's been you know a combination of being really passionate about what you do. There's no way I could have run at that level had I not really enjoyed what I was doing Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it all just comes down to a mindset and I think that that's why we're entrepreneurs and why you know why a lot of people never really feel like being entrepreneurs and I think that because they don't really have that drive or that want you know their drive is in a different spot whether that be you know working their way up the corporate ladder and that's where they get their self-fulfillment from um, and that's absolutely fine but I think that if you if you know that you have that entrepreneurial mindset, you know it. There's no, um, you, you can't bluff that. And yeah. and I think that that for me that kind of transitioned across to the sporting world or, or from the sporting world. I kind of transitioned that when I when I decided I wanted to retire from competing at that level. That kind of drive just kind of came into the entrepreneurial side. 
And so I, yeah, I think I think that when you if you're listening to this podcast, you already know that you're you, you've got that drive. Yeah, Claire. During that time when you had that obsession and, and that that work ethic and that passion, uh, do you ever have moments of when of either burnout or times when you just wanted to give up? Yeah, absolutely. And I can and I can. The great thing about having been there and done that is I can kind of see that within myself yeah. um, going forward. I think. The risk with the risk of burnout is, from my personal opinion, is not necessarily. Um, I think a, you know, you, you've really got to look after yourself. And for me, especially being in the health industry, part of and you know, for me, one of my one of the reasons for working with women with polycystic ovarian syndrome is that one of the reasons I developed that was because I just put my body under so much stress um, training as I did. So I'm always a little bit careful about that. And for me, you know, I don't have a business if I don't have my health because yeah. here I am, you know, helping women reverse their polycystic ovarian syndrome and I can't, um, I can't actually do that if I'm then unhealthy because they'll look at me and say, well, hold on, you're actually coaching us into health, but you're probably the most unhealthy person I know. So, you know, in terms of the, your work ethic. So for me, it's all about, um, you know, I have to be, but also I think too, people tend to burn out when they are not seeing regular achievement as well. And so if you're constantly just um, just keeping going without actually stopping to recognize what you've achieved or recognizing you know, your, the little successes you've had, you're much more likely to burn out as well. So that's the two learnings that I've had. What are some ways that you celebrate your little successes? <laughs> so for me, it's about breaking down those big goals into small goals. Um, it helps me stay on track and not over, um, not not over commit to what I can achieve. That's probably one thing that I'm that I'm still getting learning to get better and better at is actually being realistic mm-hmm. um, and breaking down those goals into small bite sized chunks so that every week I've got I can then sit there and and recognise what went well and what I did achieve and then also recognise what I need to still improve on. So. I'm, I need to still get better, but what my plan is at the moment is to actually set myself little rewards that I can that that I get if I achieve the goals, um, and then that will hopefully continue to build in that reward type mechanism in my brain um, to wire that towards achieving regularly achieving little goals and keep me on track so that I don't burn out. Claire, as an athlete, what was the most difficult? struggle or time as an athlete that you had to overcome um definitely would be when I was when I got injured and Uh um but also uh yeah because when you're injured you're the the mind is still willing but the body's not right and it takes a lot of um willpower to step back and say I actually need to to not get try and get back into it too early because that's always as an athlete you're always trying to you know do the bare minimum of time off from injury and then kind of come back. But it's a really fine balance between coming back too early and then and then not actually fully recovering from that. Yeah. But I think what it comes down to often is that your whole identity is based around being an athlete. And when you're being a runner and when you're not able to do that, it's, it's actually really hard that, you know, a lot of your social time is built around running or being with your, like, you know, your teammates who you're working with, running with, training with. Um, and when you don't have that, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you're missing a limb. It, re- it really does feel like that. And so that was the hard thing. It was to really balance so that you actually had another life outside of running. You actually did have, um, 
more to you or more of your own identity than just being a runner. And that mm. took a, a, a long time to, to actually develop that. That's, that's a good point, especially for us entrepreneurs, because a lot of times we don't have an identity outside of just being an entrepreneur because we're so obsessed about our business and our passion. And, I, you know, that's something I've had to learn, too. Like I on the side, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu now. And it's cool because I have that and, and a little social network in the gyms that I go practice in because I have non-entrepreneurial friends that I can really step away from and still achieve growth um, on a personal level that's separate from just my business time. Yeah, and that's, that's amazing. And I think that's so important because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're so passionate about what we're doing and are passionate about growth and we love you know, we love the kind of conversations that we have with our fellow entrepreneurs. You know, you, you even if you are being social and going out for um, a beer or going out for dinner, you do end up talking about about business and, and you know, different ideas. And, and while that's fantastic, I think that, you know, part of that, you know, avoiding burnout is um, making sure that you do have that outside, which... So that's fantastic that you've got that through the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah, it's weird because now that we talk about this, I'm bringing up a couple memories of mine of people that have wrapped up their entire life and identity into their business. And when their business failed because of that, they ended up committing suicide. Wow. And um, one's a distant relative. He was, he was actually a farmer. And when he went bankrupt as a farmer, he couldn't handle it. Even though he had a good family behind him and everything, he had to... Uh, find his own way out and he committed suicide and then also not a friend of mine directly but a friend of uh, a good friend that I have in the uh, global crisis in 2008-2009 same thing this guy was in the mortgage business and made millions lots and lots and lots of money and then when it all came crashing down he couldn't handle it and he um, you know took his life and so it's really important. I mean, I, most entrepreneurs aren't that severe when it comes to, you know, losing their identity as a, as a business owner when it doesn't work mm -hmm. out. But it's a really good point to have a separate identity from that so things mm -hmm. don't get bad and you're just not absolutely devastated when, when a project or a business doesn't go through. Yeah, or even just on a micro level when, you know, things are going wrong and you, no, you don't have control over them because, you know, most a lot of the time in our businesses, we don't actually have control over many things. And our Solpal and our the foot powder industry, um, it's you know you might have you know manufacturer something happens in the manufacturing process or the shipping and it goes wrong. And if you you know if you're so wrapped up in that, then that can really affect you know your whole mood, your whole outlook, and um, and it just you know it takes it pays to have something else that you can then get a bit of perspective from. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I still love being being active. And, and although I'm not an athlete anymore and I don't have the identity, I'm still, you know, being active is still a really important part of my life. Yeah, good point. That's a great leeway into SoulPal now. So we can talk about what you're up to these days and SoulPal and where this idea came from and and share with us, Claire. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, a, it's um, always interesting when people ask what I do and I, I have to say, well, I actually – manufacture a foot powder for smelly shoes. <laughs> um, I certainly get some interesting responses, especially at, especially at parties. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. Uh, 
<laughs> or you, on dates. That's uh, always a good one as well. Yeah. I, you know what would be a great marketing <laughs> tactic is interviewing people on video when they ask you what you do and then you tell them and their reactions. And that would just be a fun marketing tactic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because, the, you know, the reaction is always like, what? Or, <laughs> yeah, or like, oh, okay, um, that's awkward. A lot of people that, you know, find it very interesting as well. So um, having been, a, you know, a runner and triathlete, it's um, it, it kind of comes with the territory of being, of being active. I mean, like smelly footwear is caused by bacteria that breed in warm, moist environments, which um, – which makes, sh- makes shoes the perfect environment for them, and they actually let off the gases which smell, which a lot of people don't know. Um, and so, you know, it's absolutely part and parcel of being active. But the foot kind of like foot odor industry has always been like incredibly antiquated, um, based on you know very negative connotations around it and being embarrassed. You know, all of the brands have, uh, things like odor eaters and very negative. And so my co-founder Jono and I uh, decided that we would, you know, we'd both been um, been runners, both ran for New Zealand, and we sort of thought, hang on, this doesn't need to be this way. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Really, all you need to do um, is um, put, you know, put the antibacterial powder in, and especially the the formula that we've developed, which is um, incredibly effective. You only need to put it in um, once a day for five days, and it kills the odor for months. And so we were sort of think we had the opinion that this should, you know, being active should be something that you're proud of, and it doesn't come with kind of any negative consequences. You should be rewarded for being active, not penalised. Um, and so we wanted to make it okay. You know, we wanted to revolutionise this foot powder industry in the similar way that the deodorant market has gone about um, reinventing itself, and that it being, you know. Um, you know, that it's, it's not a, a negative thing to need deodorant. That's just, just an, a part and parcel of being a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, we saw the opportunity to reinvent this industry um, and actually make it something that people are proud to use or proud to wear. So that's why we created um, SoulPal. So it's S-O-L-E-P-A-L, so like a friend of your feet. And our, our tagline is Sweat Proud. So that's what we're all about, is about, you know, being able to be sweet proud. I like that tagline. That's really cool. And it, it makes perfect sense because, you know, there's no negative connotations around brushing your teeth, you know, or <laughs> exactly right. there's no negative connotations around um, using deodorant or, you know, a bit of cologne here and there or perfume. But there is a bit, which is really weird. There is for foot powders and foot sprays, which is interesting. But it's good. I think I can totally see the the open market potential for this, which is really really awesome. And and you guys that are listening, I've seen her product and her packaging, which is brilliant. It's similar to the like modern deodorant sprays that make it cool to have these deodorant sprays. Like Axe would be be one, and mm-hmm. their packaging is really good, and they've done a brilliant job with that. So great job, Claire. Thank you. Yeah, and it's um and it actually works. So it's great to. We're just in the product testing stage at the moment with uh, with getting a lot of athletes um, to test it, and the feedback's been amazing, so they're all really happy. So we're looking forward to taking it to market in the next month. Yeah, and actually Claire and I did a downhill mountain bike trip a couple of weeks ago, and um, one of the guys used the foot powder and got really good reviews from it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's uh, he's happy. He's it's um, He used it, and he's quite a big cyclist, He and... Um, he found in his cycling shoes that they were just, you know, 
um, smelt really bad, especially from living in a warm, humid climate that is Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he put it in there, and he was really impressed because um, the shoe, the cycling shoes, cost him over two hundred dollars. So he was like, "Wow, these have, this has saved me a lot of money." Uh-huh. <laughs> replace these shoes because they're still absolutely perfect condition they're only a few months old but they're already smelling so much that i was going <laughs> to get, get them out of my apartment so he was <laughs> he was very excited that's great cool claire any tips that you can share with the listeners you shown you shared a bunch already about uh, it's, let's let's say this how about uh, a tip or two claire about going into a business or a market that has kind of a negative connotation around it and what it took for you guys to kind of enter that market, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a really, a really interesting question. I think I think probably the main thing is about before we even get to that market, actually doing the market research up front and doing some really thorough market research to figure out who, you know, who are these big, big players and, and is there actually market opportunity for this? You know, we, you know, might think that this sounds like a really great idea, but, you know, as most of us from business know that you know sometimes what sounds like a really good idea on paper uh, doesn't always transpire. Yeah. So probably the the most important thing that we did was did some really thorough market research to yeah. just so there was no one actually out there doing this because although you might not see it in the shops, you know then you know you, it takes a while to then you find it online later and then go oh there's already someone doing it and it's not worked. Okay, so why didn't that work? Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's so much amazing market research statistics out there. I mean, I know that in most cities around the world, we'll have like a business and IP center where you can get access to these databases that do that have access to these consumer reports. You can see what is, uh, you know, what the consumer reports are saying. So, in, for example, in our industry, we found reports on the specific foot odor industry and they backed up our, um, our thinking that this is a growing, this is actually a growing industry. Um, it's going to be growing by 10% over the next four years, their prediction was, yeah. um, that it was ripe for independent players. So they said that at the moment it's dominated by big players. It's ripe for independent players. And um, and there was they had done the consumer research themselves about um, interviewing uh, consumers and they found that actually 30% of people were still concerned about foot odor. Yeah. So I think that that's probably the biggest thing that we've learned is that you know, we had a good idea in terms of, you know, reinventing this industry, but we needed to have that backed up by the market research. Yeah, good point. Uh, and so I think that's probably, I don't know about any other, and to answer your question about the, in an industry that's got sort of a negative connotation associated with it, I think um, I think the main thing is to then figure out what angle you're going to take. So for us with Soul Power, we, we, uh, we could have gone down the very humorous route, which we still may do. We, we, we're kind of going down the aspirational route around, you know, sweet proud, and this should be something that you're proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, um, but, but we could have gone down the humorous route, which I think would, could have been equally as successful, maybe more successful. So I think it's just finding, you know, picking what you're going to do, but, um, and then testing that and then going after that. So at the moment we are kind of testing that the aspirational route's, you know, the one that we want to go down. Yeah. But we decide that actually the humorous route is one. So picking a kind of a different angle that no one else is doing, testing it, and then if it doesn't work, try something else. So we're just in that phase at the moment. Um, but also the other thing that I think in, um, is really important is, is picking a niche. So we've gone for the athletic market or kind of the weekend warriors um, who so people who are active because it's you know as you 
every, I think everyone in business knows it's very hard to market to everybody. Yeah. So you've got to have a niche if you're going to be successful in, in online um, marketing. And that was the other thing that our, none of our competitors were doing. They were all just being everything to everybody or being generic kind of home brand based products. Whereas, so we've taken a different spin on it and are targeting a very specific subset. That's a, it's a genius. I, I love it. I love it. And I, I love that it's a big challenge, but it's still super niche, but still wide open super niche. And <laughs> I think <laughs> I see so much, so much potential with this. This is really great. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> what, what's the next five years look like for you guys, Claire? Wow. Five years. Um, hopefully, well, and we're planning to sell Soul Power in the next uh in about four years' time. So that's what we're gearing, that's what we make all our decisions based on mm-hmm. is, um, is sales. So at the moment, we're just trying to identify who that buyer will be because that really determines everything that we do from, um, you know, f- from the, the you know, future products that we create to the target audience. Um, so for us, it's figuring out whether that's going to be, say, in the personal care industry or whether it's going to be in the aesthetic industry. Um, and, then, and then really what we're doing is just building our business um, towards that goal. So it's the thing for me is always having um, is having an exit plan. While I might not use it, we might decide to keep this business if we, you know, quite enjoying the income that we're getting from it. Yeah. It's having that exit plan that if we if we do want to, um, we we already know how we're going to how we're going to sell. Yeah. So that's um that's I think that's really important for everybody to have. I mean us. I know that you know the four-hour work week doesn't talk like that. It's all about um, actually building kind of a, a, a passive income and then not building a business to retire. But I think that um, most most business people you talk to, um, and especially entrepreneurs, we quite like new we quite like new things. Yeah, that whole shiny object <laughs> um, <laughs> scenario, and so we get a lot of joy out of the kind of the building the business. We don't necessarily get a lot of joy out of the BAU. So if, um, so I think that that's really important for everybody to have is, um, is a plan that they're working towards. And then, um, and then you've at least got something that you can, that you can work towards in that way. Incredible point. Very, very good. So when you sell the business or, get the opportunity and decide not to sell the business. I want to have you back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Hopefully I'll be, uh, yeah, we will be successfully sold the business and I'll be taking a, um, a bit of time off to pursue some different passions and um, probably some other sporting endeavors, maybe a bit of kite surfing, maybe a bit of skiing, mountain biking. Very cool. Very cool. And you're actually going to Tar- Tarifa this year to do kite surfing? Yeah, so the next year looks like for me uh, from Chiang Mai. So next week we're going to Borneo to climb uh, Mount Kinabalu there, which will be uh, really fun. And then back to New Zealand for New Zealand summer in a few months um, at home on the farm, which will be an interesting time, but much needed time at home with the family. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and yeah, and then back to so back to Europe. So Tarifa in Spain to do some kite surfing for a few months. And then hopefully see you in Barcelona. Yeah. And the cool thing about this business is that all outdoor or all athletic activities you do are marketing opportunities too, right? <laughs> so <laughs> climbing a mountain, snap, take a picture, look so pal, you know. Uh, exactly. Exactly. On, Instagram on, has, has uh, my face plastered all over it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I want to see some, um, some marketing of Soul Pal with you driving a tractor. 
uh, on a farm. <laughs> With my work boots. My yes, your work boots. Ah, oh, genius. Yeah. Do you have muck? Do you call them mucking boots? We have mucking boots in the U.S. Just just mud boots, mud work boots. You know. Do you use those in New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. They're called gum boots in New Zealand. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Use those and psh, spray some. I uh, put some foot powder in it. That's great. Um, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay, Chris. I'll I'll make sure that we've got a, a few product shots. Okay. On the tractor. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and the cow shed. Many places. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Walking through the, the, the cow patties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can already see the taglines on the ground there. You know, while we can't fix the outside, we can definitely fix the inside. Yes. Perfect. I like it. Uh-huh. Correct. Cool. So we're actually, right before we sign off, Claire, we're actually in Chiang Mai right now. We're day 12. 26, I guess, of the 28 days at the Entrepreneur House. So how's your experience been here? Oh, it's been probably one of the best decisions of my life to come here. It's been amazing. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. What makes it one of the best decisions for you? Being surrounded and inspired every day by other entrepreneurs who um, can push you, um, think the same as you, and as I said, just inspire you to, to keep being better. Very cool. And what's been your favorite memory of being in Chiang Mai? Oh, favorite memory. I think that the Folks 55, I know that you say that a lot of people, that's their favorite part of um, part of the entrepreneur house. But for me, it was just amazing to see the hustle, you know, and the energy uh-huh. that everyone brings to being so focused on achieving their goals. And just, just seeing how excited everyone is when they are achieving their goals and and in such a short amount of time doing things they never thought possible in 55 hours that would normally take them weeks to do yeah. and suddenly they've you know they've just smashed it and it's just yeah such a cool experience then being able to kind of you know, go out for dinner go for a massage just relax in the fact that you've actually achieved a really great goal very good awesome to hear and then what's been your biggest business takeaway from the month here Biggest takeaway is to always surround myself with people who are, you know, who are doing a similar thing because yeah. that's just the, you know, you can you can easily get absorbed by just kind of hunkering down and doing your work and kind of getting it done, thinking that that you need to kind of work harder, but actually it's all about working smarter and and that is being surrounded by people who have already done this. So seek out people that have done what you're doing because you could spend a week researching this where you can get the same information from talking to someone for taking them for coffee for half an hour. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, when you're entering into this into this life is seek out places that where like-minded people are and, and you'll be so much more successful. I can agree wholeheartedly with that as my success has taken off too when I started surrounding myself with other other location independent entrepreneurs. All right, Claire, that's all I have for the show today. Anything else you want to say before we sign off? Or let the listeners know where they can get a hold of you at. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so you can get hold of me at info at soulpal.com. So I-N-F-O-O, sorry, just one O, <laughs> at S-O-L-E-P-A-L.com. Um, and yeah, that's it. And I just want to say thanks, Chris, for having me on the show today. And thanks for organizing an amazing entrepreneur house. It's, you know, as I said, it's catapulted my business so much further than I could have ever done, you know, in the months that would, working by myself would have, would have taken. So thanks for providing such a great opportunity. You're very welcome. I'm really glad you're here. And listeners, 
check out soulpal.com to get the coolest foot powder on earth. <laughs> and we're going to sign off. Thanks, Claire, for coming on. Brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Now. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for location-independent entrepreneurs. Imagine spending one month with other successful entrepreneurs building business in the world's most exotic locations. Day-to-day, -day you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality about business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for those staying in the Entrepreneur House, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. For those of you that are interested, be sure to contact us through the entrepreneurhouse.com website. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.